Hello everyone and welcome to the very first official episode of the No Life Experience podcast. How exciting. Today's episode is why do the youth hate capitalism? There is a meme. There is a meme that started this all. I hope you've seen the meme at one stage in your life. Two images and the first one is like this black and white photo and the caption is like communism according to history and it's like people like labor and it doesn't look very nice and glamorous and it's pretty not fun and then the second one is like capitalism according to college students and it's you know we've got putin and he's like got his little samurai sword and we've got king jong-un and he's like in the air and there's all these really colorful fun graphics and then i was walking to the tram station i saw on this electrical box there's like marxism protest happening in april and i it got me thinking you know like what is it what is it about capitalism that the youth hate so much and i say this because it is generally like gen z and millennials who are often advocating for and talking about socialism marxism communism as opposed to the capitalist society that we live in so i got to google i got googling i got tip tap typing what is capitalism what is it good for what are the problems with it what are the alternatives are they viable and where should we be looking at in the future that's what i'm answering today If you don't know what capitalism is, capitalism is the economic system which I and many other countries in the world live or operate under. It is an economic system which in essence allows the production of goods and services to kind of be controlled by the supply and demand of the general free market. And the key, the key piece of detail is that private people, private entities can own these goods and services and therefore they can keep the profits, which produces money. There's no cap, there is no limit on how much you can earn. So, people are working to fill the big rich man's pockets. Capitalism also usually exists and coincides in like a democratic state under democratic systems. I don't know where I was going with that sentence, so we'll just move on. It is without doubt that we would not live in the world that we live in without it. The revolution of technology, industries, um, software, (laughs) apparently, I don't know, wouldn't have existed or at least on the plane that it currently exists in without capitalism. And the first reason being (laughs) capitalism is great for innovation. Capitalism has created this space for entrepreneurialism, um, which isn't a word according to word but I think it's a word and therefore I'm going to give it a definition and that definition is the act of being entrepreneurial Um, Oxford Dictionary hit me up I've got a new word for you anyway moving forward but you have probably heard someone say like without capitalism you wouldn't have your iPhone and they're not wrong Um, But they're maybe not entirely right because we've never had to live under a different economic system in like a lot of major countries where a lot of these inventions come from. So therefore we wouldn't know how we would or wouldn't be living without invention of capital. Anywho, you know, it's hard to make assumptions about a different system that we were never forced to live in. So how does it create innovation? Key characteristic of capitalism is the free market. Anyone can enter, anyone can join, anyone can leave. And if you have a product, a goods or a service that you think can serve everyone, or even if there's a super niche market for it, if you think that the certain type of consumer, there's a certain or a very specific consumer that would love it, that will just eat that up, then you will be successful in your market. If you can fill the gap, you will be very successful because you're the only person. And what that does is, as anyone is allowed to join, anyone can create profit and make profit from these things. People want money. They'll do the research and they will fill the market. 
capitalism has furthered society because of the incentive and that incentive is to make profit that has created like almost an echo chamber for innovation for companies because in a free market where anyone can join there will always be competition and in order to be the best to make the most money to be the leading competitor the leading company the leading business in a free market is to offer something to consumers that your competitors or that someone else cannot and that can be through more better prices that can be through you have more technology that is offering more around a similar price point it forces companies to innovate it forces them to create new things come up with new ideas and be the first to lead in an industry or a sector this this innovation yes is you know selfish it is to create profit but it advances society and the consumer's life in one way or another which is why this innovation is a good thing the availability of capitalism and the free market allows for the advancement of materials and resources and allows them to kind of be allocated and distributed accordingly but it also you know for consumers and for owners it promotes innovation and progression so that's fun and fresh the free market is quite literally survival of the fittest it is darwin's theory of evolution in action natural selection like we are seeing it right here right now markets need to be constantly evolving adapting and changing people need to the companies in them need to be adapting controlling changing to keep up with their competitors which i find really funny because they're keeping up with the system that we created and that they put themselves in but this does however have a positive outcome for consumers because our lives are going to be bettered and advanced in some sort of way these products will increase the efficiency or the effectiveness of a service. A classic example is the invention of the car. We used to ride around galloping on our little horses uh, in carriage. What happened was when the invention of the car came around, we started to phase out horses because cars were more powerful. They were better built, they were stronger, and they got you to A to B quicker. As more and more car companies entered the market, they became more and more accessible to the layperson. This drove down the market prices and all of a sudden everyone was driving a car. The use for horses, their utility, their function was no longer of benefit to society. So the market chose cars, not because we hate horses, but because cars served a greater purpose. This is a classic example of innovation and the market choosing that. Which kind of leads me into my next point. Choose what is relevant in the market. The free market, it moves at the rhythm of the supply and demand of the people. What they are choosing is beneficial to them or what they think is not beneficial to them. It is your classic supply and demand. Demand for the products will force the, distribu the distribution of products in places where it is most needed or probably most appropriately most wanted. At this competition, we would have monopolies, duopolies, oligopolies, and only a few companies would be you know, exclusively owning or have control in a certain market field sector which can have very negative outcomes because there are many limitations to having a single vision, to having one company, one man's vision on how a certain product should run. It stunts innovation. There is no need to keep developing or keep going forward because they are the benchmark. They've already created the standard and there's no one that they have to beat. There's no one they have to innovate for because they are already at a baseline serving the needs of the market. And this also means they have control over things like the prices and they may choose to significantly inflate it because if it's things like, you know, pharmaceutical needs of medicine of some sort and it's life-changing, life-saving and people need it, what are they going to do? Just like not buy it? No, they're not going to just not buy it because if they don't, it could be fatal in essence. So 
But because the market meets the needs of the people, it has a lot of creative and in turn, a lot of destructive behavior. It allows for the constant birth and death of businesses and it creates this kind of like life cycle of the market. But this life cycle means that businesses are constantly moving towards solving our problems. It solves our problems because in order for companies to survive, they need to be able to keep up with what we want from them. This links back to innovation. The allocation and distribution of materials is going to the places where people are buying from the most. If we are buying more and more iPhones, for example, the technology, the nano, I don't really know how to make an iPhone that goes into that is going to be heavily distributed to Apple as opposed to maybe people aren't really investing in or buying blueberries, blackberries. <laughs> That's what they're called. Blackberries, not blueberries anymore. Uh, because Apple revolutionized and innovated far beyond what the original like, original mobile phones were doing. There may be incentive for them to meet our needs and the driving force behind the production may be selfish, but it is positively benefiting consumers and society. Basically, if you produce something poorly, you will be forced out of the market because you are not meeting the needs of the people. <laughs> This can be both a good thing and a bad thing. I'm going to talk about it in a good light here. But in essence, capitalism determines what jobs, what skills, what experiences are more valuable or worth more, I say with air quotes, simply based on the profit that they produce or the demand of the specific expertise. Your experience, your story, your capital worth. This is something that you can invest time and money into. And if you can invest time and money into something, you can increase your capital worth. Capital worth, your personal capital worth is called your career capital. And a career capital is important in our free market system because it allows you to know your worth. You can negotiate wages, benefits, salaries, other things that come with a job because you know just how far your expertise, what your knowledge, your skills, the trade that you may have specialized in, you will know what that benefit or how that can benefit a company. You get to make a return on your investment, is what I'm saying. You invest years into an education, you can make a return on that. You invest time and money into developing a trade, you can make a return on that. If you don't, let's say, have a tertiary education or you didn't get a trade, but you've had you know 20 years in an industry, that experience is invaluable. That is worth more than four years of a degree. And you can use that to negotiate and upskill your worth. You can constantly be acquiring and accruing more and more and more career capital and there is no limit as to how much you can be worth to a company, a business or in your own company and business. And the only time that you can that will stunt you know you will stunt career progression growth etc is when the market decides that your skill your trade is not useful or is not valuable anymore money equals power there is no cap there is no regulation there is nothing on how much a business can make and grow and how much they can profit from people meet my labor the company i work for there is they can just keep making money and large corporations become greedy and they are worth millions and billions and when they're worth millions and billions they can kind of like mirror a political party of sorts and they can utilize this to lobby for decisions that will possibly benefit them if you are able to mirror a political party of sorts you have power if you are able to give the government money and that's going to 
sway a decision, you have power. Companies should not have power over the government systems that are in place because the economy is regulated by the government, but it's not the economy is not something that should be controlling the government. Are you with me? Are you with me? If these companies are lobbying for reform in some way, it will basically allow them to legally do something that they were not initially able to do, or it will allow them to increase the price on something in order to make more money, which was maybe considered initially unconscionable. An example, a classic example, um, is pharmaceutical companies. They have forever and a half been known for their lobbying efforts. And I think a really interesting case study that I'm gonna to present to you right this second is in 2013, we saw that there were 72 different pharmaceutical companies that engaged with 29 different lobbying firms that paid the Liberal Party, which at the time, was it Gillard? Was Gillard? Was that her? Leader of the Liberal... Let's Google it. Leader of the Liberal Party 2013. Oh, not in um, Canada, in Australia. <laughs> Tony Abbott. It was Tony Abbott. Oh, it was Kevin Rudd and... Right, that's right. We did go through a few people at that time. Australia went through this weird phase where we kind of went through five different prime ministers in five years, but minor details guys just a, just a system that we don't need to touch on in essence when we look at this graph we can see a massive spike a massive increase from the abbott coalition in donations that they received from pharmaceutical companies in the year 2013-ish and this is really interesting because it just so happened it just so happened to coincide with the federal election Riddle me that one, Einstein. These efforts for policy and reform were, in essence, so they could increase prices and get approval for new drugs. And, you know, a study has shown that Australia does pay $500 million more than neighbouring countries on medication every year. So, I'm really glad that I'm not sick. We also do have free healthcare, so we pick our battles. This right here, this right now, this is my acknowledgement of um, sweatshops and companies using severely underpaid labor in other countries and outsourcing to be able to make a lot for very little. Um, I will not be discussing it at length here, but this is my acknowledgement. I want you to know, like, I know it's happening. Don't come for me. Capitalism does. Capitalism allows for owners um, to profit from the labor of their workers and greedy owners can suppress wages to retain as much of those profits as possible. And by suppress, I mean pay them the literal minimum wage. In Australia, minimum wage is pretty good. The minimum wage for you know an adult is about $20. If you're on a casual loading, you're definitely getting more than that. You're probably sitting around the $25, $26. And if you're working full time at 20 bucks an hour, let's say, that is $760 a week less tax. The issue, however, with minimum wage is people believe that companies, every company should be paying their employees a livable wage. What is considered to be a livable wage for the average single adult is just under 600 bucks a week. 600 bucks a week they think is enough for you to be able to you know, pay rent, bills, put, and put food on your table. Issues with this come in the US, I think where minimum wage, depending on what state you live in, at ranges from $7 to $12, even less if you're relying on tips. And let's just say, let's put it on the bigger end, $12 an hour 
for full time, 38 hours a week. That is $456 less tax. That is well below the livable wage. And this is where problems seem to arise. Because let's talk about another problem. Let's just like backtrack before I move forward. Companies, right, they usually do have more and more employees as casuals now, not like on contracted permanent positions, where therefore they don't have to pay them things like annual leave or sick leave. And this is a whole thing that I could talk about and there's actually been a recent high court case it's really interesting about these two like truck drivers and basically they were working for a company um, as contractors and they had been doing the same like nine hour rotation 40 hour week or whatever for 20 years court ruled that like the company they worked for they weren't entitled to annual leave long service leave sick leave things like that which is a really interesting case that will kind of shape the way the things like the gig economy works with uber drivers doordash and markets like that it's a whole thing that i could talk about in itself it's super interesting but let's go back to the livable wage <laughs> these companies these big companies right they had the capacity to pay their workers a livable wage yet they are not because that's less money in their pockets the big the big people at the top less money if they are paying you a livable wage so these huge companies are not going to change that they're not going to pay them more because they don't have to they have no incentive to it's not illegal what they're doing they're doing is legal they won't ever change it it doesn't make it right but it's not the company's fault that they the minimum wage is so low a way that this could be improved is shifting the onus onto the government pushing the burden onto them to increase the minimum wage make it livable make it an appropriate wage because instead of putting that onus and that burden on the company who literally have no incentive to make that action and in turn this can increase the standard of living the standard of living that has been improved anyway because of capitalism because of the systems that we live in and now we're making it unachievable unaffordable because the government aren't intervening which is i guess the point of capitalism is meant to be little um, government intervention but there is such thing as reasonable regulation. And this links to the power and kind of exploitation issues. I'm going to put it all together. As capitalism's main incentive is to do work to make profit, they don't really care about the negative impact or footprint that they're having on the world because they don't need to. Everything that they're doing is above board. It's legal. So you know, who cares? Who cares if they're pumping just millions of tons of CO2 just into the atmosphere now? Who cares if we're doing that now and what that looks like for our future? Because like, the billion dollar paycheck that I just got could never. Another angle that we can kind of look at this global climate issue from is that we have increased our access for everything. Every resource, material, service, we have found it increased useful and therefore we are kind of increasing our global imprint. Oh, imprint? Footprint. Oh my gosh. <laughs> for example, I'm gonna go back to the example of cars. We have increased access use to cars, which in turn means we have increased the need for fuel, um, which has increased the release of CO2 and also is depleting the natural Earth's resources. That has detrimental effects on our climate. Basically, there is not really much regulation looking out for our environment or forcing companies to be a little bit more accountable for the effect that they're having on the globe as a whole, which is why it's actually really important now that a lot of countries are working towards net zero. Capitalism has standardized the work week, the nine to five, the Monday to Friday, and we kind of know what the rest of our lives are gonna look like up until retirement. 
which is kind of depressing if you look think about it. This is where those I simply don't dream of labor videos really come in. If you don't know what those videos are, they're basically just usually young people, Gen Z or millennials who are talking about why they just don't have a dream job or why they don't dream of labor. But the message that they put forward is really simple. It's that this dream job is a construct or a fantasy created by capitalism to convince you to like want to work. It puts out this notion that happiness and fulfillment can be found in your job. That is tricking people into like wanting a dream job, wanting this, wanting that, um, where they're able to give lots and lots of their time to a company for them to make money. Not for you, for the company to make lots of money. The job is the fulfillment in life, not the living of life itself. And rather than like the activities that we engage in outside of work, socializing, maybe you meditate, I don't know, maybe you love to cook. These are the things that are meant to bring you joy. And capitalism tells you and sells you this narrative that work is the way of having happiness and do what you love, work your dream job, work in something that you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life, which is not true. That is not true. And I think the big issue is that we as young people, especially all of us in the industries that we work in have placed so much of our identity into our careers and that has created this happiness or this idea that happiness comes from our dream job. A major issue is that our jobs have become this all-consuming aspect of our lives. Capitalism encourages us to work, succeed, be the best and therefore we have placed so much of our identity into our careers. But we need to separate our dreams from our aspirations. It's okay to aspire to want to be a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, an engineer but we don't dream of that. We aspire to be successful and it's okay to want to be successful in your field of work, but you don't dream to be the CEO of a company. You dream to own a house by the beach or, you know, travel the world and backpack through Asia and meet someone in Europe and fall in love and have a really cute relationship. You don't, you don't dream of putting in hard hours and, working for the rest of your life. We dream of the things that bring us joy outside of labor, outside of working. In terms of instability, the free market is volatile. It can be horribly volatile. Things are always changing. Supply and demand is always changing. There are always trends in new and different areas. This affects, well, it affects everything. The cost of things, the availability of things, everything is affected by how volatile the market is. When we see major shifts in markets that are essential for living, like high buying a house, that can be really hard for young people because all of a sudden they're seeing these markets that they feel that they will never be able to enter. And this can be, I think it has a very negative like detriment. This is my opinion now, but I do think this has a negative detriment because for so long, buying a house has been a major accomplishment in life. Um, you know, your grandparents and stuff were able to buy houses, but that's because the price of a house aligned more with the wages they were making. It was a more accessible market for them this day and age, not so much. And if we look at a case study for this, in Queensland, in Southeast Queensland, so places specifically like Brisbane and the Gold Coast, in the last year, housing prices have increased by 35.1% on average. This is changing or fluctuating depending on the area that you live in, but that is much larger than the average annual 7% growth that housing markets globally should increase by in like the Western capitalist markets. And in places, especially in Queensland, you know, like Gold Coast and Brisbane, this is because they have lived a pretty free life compared to their neighbor counterparts. There was no immense lockdowns and things like that they had to live through. And so 
people who were stuck in lockdown for months and months and months and months at a time didn't want they wanted to move into a place where they were able to live more freely the demand for them housing went up and as demand went up supply went down so prices increased this instability is terrifying we don't feel like we can enter these markets all of a sudden a four-bedroom home is costing two million dollars who can afford that also jobs do they come and go like no tomorrow the market's volatile one day your business can be booming the next day there can be a massive crash your company goes bankrupt there's no need for you in the market anymore people have decided we don't want you we're not choosing you anymore and so you're out of a job your company it no longer fits in the new cycle and the new trends of society and therefore the company's no longer making money to support you and they let you go capitalism is fueled by competition and we tend to get caught up in this world of hustle culture and where the grind can take us and you know we are constantly trying to be the best, achieve the most, reach the most goals, make the most money, get that new promotion, because we're always comparing ourselves to our peers. We are always, our jobs are always at threat, right? Our position in the systems that we live in are always at threat because someone is always working harder. We can feel really trapped in these systems because we don't want to rest or we don't want to give ourselves downtime or we can't remove ourselves from our work because this economic system that we live in rewards hard work it rewards hustle culture and it rewards the grind i hate that i said the grind we don't have good work-life balances and people hate that lack of freedom that we can have without jobs lack of downtime this lack of removal means all of our identity who we are is a face our face is our jobs Working in a system that rewards hard work makes it hard for us to remove ourselves from those scenarios and just enjoy the benefits of life. And capitalism forces us to work, but every economic system forces you to work. People aren't going to make things for free. You can't just get things. You're not going to make something because you just want to for the greater good of society. You want to be compensated in some way. We now more than ever can make active income. Yes, in corporate jobs we can make passive income and we can actively make passive income and these kind of income methods are what the youth tend to be moving more towards things like investing in stock exchange and cryptocurrencies these things wouldn't exist without capitalism or creating content online and making money from those that content that you're producing and you can upload a video and still be making money from it four years later we don't physically have to work in this day and age we have a little bit more freedom in that sense we don't have to serve a business a corporation or a company we can be our own girl boss. <laughs> I'm only joking. This is, I guess, a positive thing in terms of instability uh, and the lack of freedom that I kind of just wanted to rebut, I guess. I'm so glad you asked. Communism and socialism are the main two that probably come to mind when you're thinking about alternatives. So let's kind of like have a discussion. Let's break them down. If the youth hate capitalism, I guess these are the systems that we're going to have to shift or move towards, or are we going to just reinvent and make a whole new one? entirely who knows socialism is the economic and political system where it is based on the public ownership of production the aim is to directly satisfy human needs through the equal distribution of resources socialism existed and came before communism and it first appeared when Karl Marx I know you know that name and I'm gonna butcher this one Frederick Engels Mm. Um, they released a very famous, very famous manifesto, you may have heard of it, um, in 1848, called the Communist Manifesto. I butchered that. The Communist Manifesto. Frick. The 
the Communist Manifesto. Marxism, ever heard of it? Yes, you have the poster. But it kind of introduced this idea of collective and common and communal communism, communal uh, ownership where all legal production of goods and services was kind of decided by the government. And the society, society is basically dependent on the state for everything. From food, to healthcare, to the clothes that we wear, the houses we live in, the power running through our houses, the water in our toilets, everything. Government and public officials control producers, consumers, investors, borrowers, I don't know. And they make decisions that were once made by businesses and the influence of the market. Prices, money, what are things worth? They do this by determining and regulating the flow of trade and capital. The goal is an equitable society where there is equal distribution of all goods and all resources. Socialism in the eyes of a lot of people is this utopian world or this post-scarcity system that if implemented properly believed could work. We know that historically socialist countries maybe hasn't been great there's a higher level of poverty and greedy governments and things like that but i will mention that later or get i'll dive into that but people kind of just love that the value of your work or you comes from the amount of time work and not the value of the product produced socialism points out these three flaws of capitalism so that it is unstable that it is unequal and that it's undemocratic in terms of unstable you know, we just said that, you know, every four to seven years there is a complete economic downturn, this crash in the market and everything changes and that every cycle millions of people are at risk of unemployment, people, companies are losing millions of dollars, um, there's a lot of interruption, loss of income and this isn't like a stable thing, a good thing for people's lives, right? The next of it being unequal refers to this distribution of wealth. The top 80 and 90, you know, world richest people earn more and have more wealth than the bottom 3.5 billion. Let that sink in. And this is a direct result from capitalism and the lack of regulations or caps on how much they can earn or what they can do with their money or what they have to do with their money. So if we took away, you know, half of these 80, 90 people's wealth and we redistributed it, yeah, they would still be the wealthiest people. But now the lowest income people are living at a higher standard. Those bottom 3.5 billion people, they've got more money to work with. They're living a little bit better. We're taking them out of poverty. In terms of it being undemocratic, there's this debate. And um, I forgot his name. I'm so sorry. But he, in essence, talks about how capitalism, it buys the political process and that you know we got rid of kings and queens because we didn't need a monarch or a person to tell us what is what to do, what decisions need to be made for us, what our profits need to go, how things need to be distributed. And now what we have is we have people who, with the introduction of private enterprises, I guess, is we have people who are the kings of their own companies. We have managers, our board of directors, CEOs, they're the ones that are telling us what we need to do with our money, our profits, where they go, what we're distributing, how we're sourcing these things. Democracy is limited to voting where we live and not where we work. He brings up this idea that socialism focuses on democracy in the workplace. The democracy in the workplace idea is that all employees that work for the company have a say in the decisions that the company makes, where the profits are going, what we're going to produce, where we're producing. But he argues that we don't have a democracy, we are just told what to do when we do it, what to produce and 
how to produce it and that production belongs to someone else not you so socialists go like we we can do it better that's what socialists believe they recognize that it does and can in the past has left too much power in the hands of too few people and that's where a lot of the issues come from but what they say is well we can use the models of the past what hasn't worked and we can improve from that everyone in the enterprise would be participating in what they're producing how they're doing it, where the profits are going, and we would see a better distribution of wealth and people would probably have a higher quality of life. And they, he says that, you know, socialism isn't born at once, just like capitalism wasn't. It wasn't just one day everyone became a capitalist. It started in a city and then it failed and then it moved up in another one and then it failed and they learnt from that person and they did it again and all of a sudden it kind of grew into what it is today. And they believe that that's the same that how socialism should be implemented. They want to reorganize entities where employees run and make the decisions and not just like one man. So socialism, the good I guess, is that it does, it redistributes wealth. The idea that everyone will have a job is what socialism stands for. It is a fallacy that no one gets paid, everyone gets paid under capitalism, but there is I guess a ranking of how much you will get paid. Wages vary and the law, but the law prevents you from profiting from someone else's work or getting rich from someone else's labor. The highest paid person might only get paid five to ten times the amount of the lowest paying person as opposed to hundreds of millions times more, but the lower person's income would be higher because the money is being taken from the top end and reinvested or re-put into the bottom. So the top 1% of earners would not be off the charts rich. The bad, well, now you're only worth what the government thinks you're worth. <laughs> you, you can't invest or change your career capital that I touched on earlier. No amount of investment in your experience, your expertise, your trade, your education can change that you are simply worth what the government told you and there's a cap on the potential to earn. You know, is it really that bad to want the finer things in life? The good. Companies and workplaces are the collective property of the people. A company cannot just like buy out another company to steal its IP or the innovative technology or whatever it is they've used, get rid of that company and claim it and use it for their own. There is a little bit more protection. Private institutions just can't dissolve small companies because they have lots of money. The bad, there is no competition, there is no free market, no exchange, no investment banks, nothing. You know, free markets, they set out, the, they set the cost of goods that are decided by the people we decide that you know, one regulating one controlling body one vision could just get greedy and decide that like this is the price now and they can use that power to kind of control the market it's not a market though just it they can just control what they do because there's no one opposing them there's no one telling them they can do better the two main challenges that socialism faces no one wants to work for free and not not everyone wants to work is not everyone wants to work, which is why the passive and actively making passive income things are a positive that people do like with capitalism. No one, you know, is going to want to be a skyscraper window cleaner without the correct compensation. And it brings forth this idea that is the dangerous level of your job, does that increase how much you're going to be paid? And is that the same as someone who has maybe invested a little bit more into their expertise, whether that's through an education, a trade, or just years and years of experience? Does having a risky job mean you should earn more? it's kind of hard to decipher it, it draws fine lines because socialist planners can't really incentivize people to work dangerous jobs without appropriate compensation but that appropriate compensation might go against the whole or violate the whole equity 
outcome that socialism aims to achieve. You're unable to perform any real economic calculation without a pricing mechanism. Capitals are never able to kind of just like reorganize themselves efficiently and with time we're not able to reorganize the price of resources and materials. They're kind of just going to be set and off they go. This is necessary because the market should be chosen by the demand of the consumers and not what people think the consumers are going to want or need. No natural reorganization that is influenced or forced by the consumers de demanding things means that economic calculation becomes really hard. Many countries, many countries do. Uh, Laos, Vietnam, North Korea, North Korea, they're, they're socialists. Some honourable mentions are East Germany, which would probably be commonly described as a communist state, uh, but they claim to be socialist. Uh, Cuba, Cuba, they most accurately fit uh, socialism. The means of production, distribution and exchange are controlled and own it's owned by the people and controlled by the state. There is, there is no private ownership, which is best fits, is the closest aligned with socialism and so Cuba is a pretty common example thrown at you. The Nazis, the Nazis also claim to be socialists. <laughs> oh Germany. I love you. Well, Germany, you've got such a rich history. People often do look at countries like Sweden as this ideal or this perfect socialist country. And the truth is they are not socialists. They are a mainly capitalist or work operate under a mainly capitalist regime. They are probably 90% capitalist, 10% socialist. There's only minor government intervention on areas of social welfare. So this is why things like education, free healthcare, etc., etc. The USA, America, envy them because they have the major student debt financial crisis happening over there. They do not have access to free healthcare. So they kind of look at Sweden as this all be, will be. Um, where there are countries, Australia, we don't, I don't have to pull out loans for my degree, not at all. Healthcare is very free to me. It doesn't cost me thousands of dollars to just have basic access to healthcare. And because the US, I think, envies that lifestyle because they don't have it they kind of like think it's socialism when it's just the government meeting basic social needs but the reason that sweden right has free education free healthcare is because they increase tax on people who earn more tax the rich my friends once again a topic i could talk about for days but if we look at america americans a big reason why they don't have universal healthcare is because people don't want their taxes to pay for that which is so silly to me because you know they're paying for a military that's insanely large they're paying for roads that you've never driven on schools you'll never see traffic lights that you'll never stop at it's crazy that people use that argument but they do and if you think that people don't want universal health care under capitalism forcing them forcing it to them and socialism good luck good luck yeah. i want to give a brief summary on communism and then I want to talk about the history or the countries that have, you know, been socialist or communist in history. And I think it's important to understand that these economic systems have been fighting each other for years. Uh, they have divided so many countries and caused so many wars. You know, the Korean War, where North Korea invaded South Korea with the hopes of reuniting the countries under one communist rule. The Vietnam War, where North Vietnam wanted to govern the country under a as a communist rule, and South were like, no, we want to we want to hang out with our allies over here. And we see, you know, North Vietnam was supported by Russia, the Soviet Union, and South Vietnam was America, the Allies. Another example is East and West Germany. The Berlin Wall was literally created to keep people from escaping the communist-run, Soviet-ruled East Berlin. Whereas West, 
the West was supported by allies. We can kind of see this is a common trend that Russia and China will always back the communist socialist views and the ally countries will always go with the more like capitalist demo democratic free views and that alone that major divide in history is so important to understand major learning curves communism is socialism taking to the next step all communists are socialists but not all socialists are communists and communism is kind of this system where or this ideology it's a classless moneyless stateless society the production of everything is communally owned by everyone and where the production is communally owned private property or private ownership is non-existent. Communism is a system made by the working class for the working. And under communism we have things like anarchism, Marxism. Anarchism aims to achieve communism like straight from capitalism. There is no like buffer period, it's just like bang straight to anarchism causing anarchy. Mm, hence the name. And then Marxism is this in-between transition period between capitalism and communism, which we know as socialism. But communism, or at least the modern ideas of communism, first kind of appeared or were heavily developed and influenced after the French Revolution, which kind of inspired the communist manifesto that our bestie Marx wrote. The main message was that the history of all previous existing society is the history of class struggles. So communism was like, well, what if we just like eliminate, just eliminate class altogether? Problem solving. Problem solving. Great. Good on them. Because if we eliminate class, then we just don't have class struggles. Simples. In history, the rich and the poor were royals and your serf. This exists, I think, now more metaphorically. Modern day, the royals are the owners of their businesses and their companies, and the serfs are the people who are basically their labor is paying for their profits, their gain, their benefits, without the title of actual royalty or actual serf. The manifesto claimed that the French Revolution was a major turning point because it replaced a medieval class struggle. It pitted it against the middle class. The manifesto believes that the global working class will rise up eventually and there will be this revolution and this kind of era where we will introduce communism globally. It believes that the final stage of human development would mark the end of class struggle because we'd be living in a society without class distinctions based on, you know, family name, property, ownership, religion, etc, etc. But a side note to this is that, like, okay, maybe in the eyes of the government there isn't a class struggle, but society are the people. We we are the ones that make class right people are still going to have their prejudice towards certain religions ideologies beliefs so that's cool but communism does it depends on everyone wanting to selflessly work selflessly wanting to work for the greater good for the greater good i'm gonna pronounce so many names wrong because i can't pronounce words but communism was first practiced by vladimir lenin when he gained power in 1922 he and his friends were like let's put this theory this theory let's put it to the test like let's put it in practice he thought that a close-knit group of politically enlightened elites would really assist with the highest stages of economic and political evolution he created communism really well, he didn't create it he he introduced communism to the world it then became a dictatorship and then he died uh but then his successor oh you ready you ready you know him you know his successor Joseph Stalin. He did pursue this uh, same beliefs and the brutal ethnic cullings and kind of forced agricultural communism because he believed in this idea of the enlightened elites as well. The Soviet state became a powerful one-party institution where it really supported the commanding heights of the economy system, I say really sarcastically, but it also 
prim, like prohibited government retaliation. So major North Korean energy. Agriculture, the banking systems, industrial systems, they were all controlled by these like government five-year plans. And this central planning did though, it enabled rapid growth. At for there was a period, there was a time period there between the 50s and 1965 where Russia's GDP was actually higher than the US Uh, but eventually the economic growth really started to kind of slow down compared to its capitalistic counterparts and we see Russia falling a little bit back because there was a deliberate choice of chronic underproduction of essential things for life like food like food and there was deliberate you know understocking of grocery stores and that resulted in not only slow economic growth but the death of millions and millions of people this scarcity created this underground second economy and this second economy catered for the demands of the people it provided clothes that were smuggled in from the western society or alcohol uh food shampoo sugar just the basic these markets were highly illegal but they were never stopped because the government feared that intervening would create a revolution within russia and they didn't want to lose their power so they kind of just like let it go Stalin was like "Mm, i like my power up here let's just 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 let it pass and then after the collapse of the ussr in 1991 there was kind of a push for reform and it kind of like turns into the socialist world that it is today So in 1949, the China Communist Nationalist Party, I think is what it's called, I'm not sure, defeated Imperial Japan and here we go, Mao, how do you say his name? I want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. Okay, so Mao Zedong. Alright, here we go, I've got his name. I've worked him out. I know who he is. And this is where Mao Zedong, he gained power and he kind of, he introduced communism to China. His rule really resembled Stalin's with the same idea of brutal ethnic purging and it really resembled the violence and the deprivation and insistence for this like pure ideological way of living which is not fun and then between like 1958 and 1962 China entered this period called the Great Leap Forward and the Great Leap Forward basically it ordered rural people to produce steel in their backyards and they were kind of coerced into creating these like really dodgy backyard furnaces which had major impacts on society because as rural labor became unavailable for harvesting crops and food for everyone to eat because they were taken up by trying to kickstart this industrial revolution that wasn't really happening in China and then Mousy like he insisted he was like any food that we do make like that's going to be export let's export the grain so we can show the outer world that like our our systems are working really well over here he wanted to really demonstrate the success of his policies this though this led to at least 15 million people being killed died but these ideological purges they lasted until he died in 1976 but the communist party is still in rule today but they're not communists they are socialists so all i can think of is that meme the meme that i talked about it just makes me laugh it makes me giggle Socialism is loved or really liked or preferred and favoured over us young ones because we like that the value of our work is based just on like the the time put into it and not the value that it produces or the profit that it makes itself. It is about creating, establishing, you know, a healthier relationship with work. They don't feel like they're going to have to keep overworking themselves and working super, super, super hard to be the best and beat the competition and overtake the 
it become it, it's not a system that promotes toxic productivity socialists they do acknowledge that without capitalism we wouldn't exist how we do and socialism also wouldn't exist or be able to operate states to recognize the promise that socialism can achieve what capitalism failed to and that is liberty equality so socialists believe they can do it better then this next part is a little bit more unstructured but i spoke about how socialism it recognizes the three flaws of capitalism and i went into depth about how it's unstable it is unequal i want to touch a little bit more on how it's undemocratic and this idea and we can kind of create a democracy in the workplace and everyone who works for the enterprise is able to kind of like produce or make decisions on how to produce and what to do with production delivery of materials profits etc and therefore we wouldn't be giving billions of dollars to one person but i also want to talk about capitalism in the same light and so capitalism a lot of capitalists they recognize that it is a very flawed system and can be distorted in many areas but it recognizes that not all workers want a democracy or want input in their workplace because they just simply don't care some people do just work to pay the bills and there is nothing wrong with wanting to be this way there's nothing wrong with wanting a democracy in the workplace and there's nothing wrong with not giving a crap about what happens from your workplace it acknowledges that if not everyone wants it it's not going to work it basically states that central planning is inefficient it's very inefficient for every person to in a company to have have a say on every single topic it would take hours and hours and hours and hours of time if federal or state elections you know alone take days to count millions of people's decisions on a vote for one thing could you imagine what that would be like on a smaller scale within a company but for every decision made by that company capitalism also points out that under socialism like certain resources are only available to what the majority chooses it to be available for if different groups have many different reservations about these ideas then the markets might decide that we're not going to produce it a free market allows consumers and producers to kind of preference what is made and what is of value and not the majority of like a centralized plans system for example japanese cars i'm sorry i'm sorry for going back to the cars i'm so sorry but japanese cars are a really good example because they were liked by the markets because they were better and they lasted longer but central planning may not have allowed for them to be implemented into markets because they didn't want an international trade or an international producer and instead what happens in capitalism is this company an external company introduces is brought into the market this company then has to rise up meet it and beat it so it's forcing that cycle of innovation and growth for society basically and the limitless potential of capitalism has allowed many people to be brought out of poverty and has had many major life changes private funding also allows for a lot of prosperity in innovation um, capitalism recognizes its flaws and its need for reform and change and it also doesn't necessarily shun out socialist or government intervention because government intervention is important that's kind of it that's kind of the hoedown lowdown on the topics <laughs> A final thoughts summary, I guess, is that just because a system is flawed or we don't necessarily love every aspect of it doesn't mean we need to completely get rid of it and bring in another one. You can merge systems, learn from other systems, take concepts from other systems, increase regulation and kind of shift burdens off of companies and put it onto governments to have more security, more stability, more reduce exploitation things that socialism aims to achieve and that capitalism hasn't done very well of you can merge these two and kind of bring them together if you really wanted to i think that our generation we are a very curious generation we are a generation that now more than ever we are so aware of the systems that we live in and the policies and the that kind of rule our day-to-day -day life and we 
are more inclined to challenge them now more than ever. We are just a curious generation. We kind of understand and we're able to recognize downfalls and the effects of privilege and things like that, which maybe we haven't ever looked at historically or been game enough to address historically. We seek reform and maybe reform is modifying capitalism and not abolishing it altogether. And maybe it is abolishing it altogether and just completely starting afresh. So yeah. That's kind of it for this episode on a deep dive as to why the youth don't like capitalism. We're just more aware, you know, what you think of this discussion. Is there more that I should have spoken about? Is there something else that you would like or think that could be attention could be brought to? Let me know. I hope you have a lovely day and I'll see you guys next week.